college students coming home. It's, uh, it's, it's good to see so many people here. I have to tell you that we had a bit of a, a bet going on as a staff. We did two mirror services. We did one at 10 this morning and one, obviously, at 5 today because you're here. And uh, as to which one would be bigger, and uh, I just got to say we're not gambling. We didn't, didn't transact any cash or anything like that. But I just have to say I was, uh, I was way off. So it's good to see all of you here on this fourth Sunday of Advent where we celebrate the Advent of, of, of love. Um, it's the... It's the fourth Sunday of the Christian calendar in which we, we celebrate not just the arrival of Jesus, but the arrival of what he brought us, and that is the arrival of love. Um, such a, um, such a preci- precious word, that word love, in almost any language. Um, in fact, I'd be willing to say that some of your best moments in life, if you were to look back over the history, however long or short it is, that your best memories uh, were defined by that word um, of love. Uh, that your memories were filled with someone there that loved you or that you loved and probably both. I can't think of a single person who's ever told me my favorite memory was going to Maui for two weeks by myself, on the beach by myself, going to a restaurant by myself and watching the sun go down by myself. Now, maybe for a young mom of 12 kids that would be the case, but um, (laughs) that's not the norm. And I can tell you one of, one of the memories that I will never forget is, um, is back in the mid-90s when the, the Promise Keepers movement was still flourishing. And my dad came out to visit me while I was in school. And we went to Soldier Stadium. And um, there, we were there with like 30,000 men. And my dad and I were celebrating our faith together, singing songs next to each other, listening to speakers. We ate um, lunch and breakfast together. And at one point, my dad turned to me and he just said, I love you, Danny. Now, for my dad's generation, not a lot of men feel comfortable telling their, their male sons, I love you. But my dad didn't have a problem doing that. And it was a perfect sunny day. And I, was, I thought to myself, this day was, was a, like as close to a perfect day as you can get. And because of that, I'll never forget it. But it was, it was a love between a father and a son that defined that. And uh, if you're like me, then those days don't always come along very often, right? Those near perfect days, they're, they're like like a little wisp of steam off of a hot cup of tea or, or coffee. It's there for a second. You try and grasp it or try to recreate it, and it just it ends up failing miserably. Um, and the reason for that is because we live in a broken world um, where perfection, even near perfection, can't be sustained, and perfect love can't be sustained either. Well, looked at uh, from the vantage point of the Bible, the, one of the reasons, the main reason that the Lord came back was to restore that. Um, we tend to look back at Christmas at the manger and Mary and Joseph and so forth. And, and of course, he came. He couldn't have died and risen again if he didn't, wasn't born. But we, this Advent season, have looked forward to what, what was the end for which he was born? Like, what's the big picture? Was he just born to be born? And you say, no, he was, he was born to die for us and take the curse of sin for us. And he rose again to give us the hope of eternal life. But even that, we're, we still live in a fallen world and, and, and where love is broken and perfection is broken. And that's where we look to the second advent. Like, really, the reason he was born is to recreate the entire world and, uh, and to bring the perfection of love back. And no one speaks to that more clearly than the Apostle Paul in one of the most um, vivid and descriptive chapters in all of the Bible on love, And it is a word that has, has captured the heart of the gospel and the heart of the Bible. God is abounding in steadfast love, and God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But this is how Paul the apostle writes it in chapter 13. It's the very end. 
You've probably heard this at weddings. I've heard it at weddings of people who weren't even Christians because it's, it's just it's good writing. You know, love is patient, love is kind. Well, this is how he ends his chapter. He says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. But then, face to face. Now, I know in part. Then, I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. It's not too hard to see that he's making a contrast between our present experience and something he knows he'll experience in the future. The present experience, and he's speaking mostly of modes of divine communication, of prophecies and so forth, but I think what's true of divine communication or the modes of divine communication is also true of our human experience. That he says that they are temporary, that is, they will pass away. They're not always going to be here. He says that they're partial. That is, they're, they're limited. It's, from his vantage point, it's like trying to look at a room through a keyhole. You can only see a little tiny bit. Um, or that it's indirect in terms of his whole understanding of God. It's like, it's like looking through a, a mirror dimly, looking at the reflection of another person in a mirror, in ancient mirrors, weren't all that great. So he's saying uh, the present experience, what he, even the, the great apostle Paul, who wrote most most of the New Testament um, said, I just, I know in part. It's like looking through a keyhole. That's, that kind of defines our human experience. It's like, it's temporary, and it's just a, a part. <laughs> Can you imagine someone giving you just a bit more than a crumb, but less than the whole, of the best Krispy Kreme donut you've ever had? And you put the, the, the crumbs in your mouth, you're just like, oh, that's so good, and you just want more, but it's gone. Or if you're not a donut person, maybe it's a sliver of Argentinian steak. That's what Adam loves. That's what he likes. <laughs> and you just get a sliver, and it's there, and it's gone. He's like, that's what life is like. And that's really what the gifts are like. But in this, he's very clear. And he's not just speaking poetry here. He's speaking of reality. He's saying, at some point, that's going to change. At some point, it's no longer going to be temporary. It's going to be permanent. At some point, it's not just going to be partial. It's going to be full. At some point, it's not going to be indirect access to God and to the fullness of love. It is going to be full access. So when is this? What is this future event he speaks of? It's this future time when everything changes for the good, when we no longer experience those little wisps of as near perfect joy and love as we can experience. He describes it in three different ways, with three different phrases. He says, when the perfect comes, like there's a day of perfection that's coming is what he's saying. That's one phrase, when the perfect comes. He also says that while now we see through a mirror dimly, then we shall see face to face. No more indirect presence, but direct presence. And then he says near the end, he says, I, right now I just know in part... We just know in part, we know God in part, we know love in part. 
But he says, but then I shall know fully as I have been fully known by God since the foundations of the world. What, what is he speaking of? Well, that phrase, face to face, that defines the final vision of the Bible when we see God face to face. That is, he's talking about the second advent of Jesus. That for the Christian Bible and the, the Christians for centuries and thousands of years is, is not a small thing. It is the looming great hope is that someday perfection is going to arrive when Christ comes back. And the perfection and the fullness of love, no more wisps, but permanency, fullness, and directness. And then there's this, he even says these great Christian virtues of faith and hope, and he lists three, faith, hope, and love, they now remain. We experience them at some level right now, and faith is crucial to our life, and so is hope. But he says, the greatest of these is love, and the reason for that is when the perfect comes, when we see Christ face to face, faith as we know it will, will diminish. It will dissolve, and hope as we know it will dissolve. I mean, right now we walk by faith, not by what? Sight. The time is coming when we see face to face, and we will no longer need faith as it was, because we will see with our own eyes. Faith will become an extinction as we know it right now, and same thing with hope. Paul says, what do we hope if we do not hope for what we already have? I don't hope to have a Bible if this is my Bible because I already have it. We hope for what we don't have, but someday we see face to face and hope will be realized and hope as we know it will disappear. And the only thing that will remain of those three is love eternal. That's why he says the greatest of these is love and the great thing that we're hoping for and the reason Christ was born and the reason he gave his life to, you know, take away our sin and rose again is to give us this perfection of love forever and ever. And that is, that is our reason for us to, to gather on Christmas Eve and give thanks, not just for what he did in the past, but what we hope for in the future. And let me just, before we light our candles, let me just ask you a question, direct question. I just want to ask you, do you believe this? I know in this room there are some who would just say no. What would it take? What would it take to, you, to move you from a no to a m maybe? Maybe this is true. I mean, millions of people have believed the story and been transformed by it. Some of them very smart. What would it take to move you from a no to a maybe? What would it take you to move you from a maybe to a what if? You know, kind of a curious interest. You know, a lot of great men that, that explored the what if, and like Lee Strobel and C.S. Lewis or Josh McDowell, they started exploring those what ifs, and you know what they ended up finding? That it's true. What would it take for you to go from a maybe to a what if, or from a what if to I think this is true? Life begins to change once you start down this path. What would it take to get you from, I think this is true, to, I know this is true? Because if you know this is true, then that means there's far more to live for than just these short vapors of life that we're living right now. And that means the best, the best is yet to come, something worth living for, something worth dying for. What would it take? To get you from that no to a I know. The whole purpose of these Advent or tonight and our prayer is simply to 
help people along the path of faith, wherever you're at. Whether you're a no, maybe you'll become a maybe. Or maybe you're a I think to I know. Because it's the most important thing in life. What separates those who perish and those who have everlasting life says they believe in the Son whom God sent because he loves us. So our prayer would be that you would, you would at least begin to answer that question for yourself. And, and if you do know, you're like, I, I know this is true and this is what I believe, then our responsibility, of course, is to share the love of Christ with others. As flawed as we are, that's what we attempt and endeavor to do. And our candle lighting is a symbol of that. Um, it's a way of showing that the light came into the world through Christ. I'm going to light the Christ candle, the final candle of Advent, and then I'm going to take a candle and come and light a few candles in the congregation, and I, I want you just to share it with your neighbors. Um, and I'm not going to do this in a, in a, like a super orderly fashion, because you know the way the gospel goes around the world sometimes isn't always orderly to the human eye. It just kind of goes like leaven through a lump of dough. So um, that's what we're going to do now, again, is a symbol of the fact that we are to be lights in the world as Christ came to be the light of the world. And if I could encourage you, some of you have heard this speech over and over again, be really careful. There's a lot of people in this room, and there's some ladies with long hair. So I want you to watch carefully. If you can, I'm going to have you stand, too, so it doesn't drip on your clothes. But if you can keep it from dripping on the, the chairs, I know the guy who cleans our, our, our church would be very appreciative. And uh, please dip the unlit candle into the lit candle. We haven't had any casualties yet. And um, we really, yeah, yet, we're not going to have any casualties. So if I could invite you to stand.